and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Dave Scott is a rugby player, coach, mentor, strength and fitness geek, mechanic, gardener, learner, and sometimes teacher. He has been a small business owner for over 20 years. He has been married for over three decades and has five adult sons. Dave uses his free time and resources to help others along the way with their journey. His personal focus is especially on helping men, young and old, aim towards personal, relational, and spiritual health. He has a tremendous and very useful blog at davescotts.blog. You can also find him on Twitter at that same handle, at davidscottsblog. Dave, what, a, what an honor to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. Casey, thank you so much. I appreciate that intro, and uh, I'm, I'm honored to be on your podcast. You have some great guests, and I've been following your, your podcast myself, and um, it's kind of uh, surreal to be uh, included in that list now. So thank you very much. Well, absolutely. And I believe deservedly so. Um, you have this really cool blog that I really love and, and you just do it like for kindness. You just do it to share your message. And I, I just, <laughs> I think that story is so cool. And I really, really love and appreciate that about you and, and the message you're trying to share. And so, yeah, I'm really um, looking forward to having an awesome conversation. We have, we have been very lucky. We've gotten some really good guests and, uh, and you're one of them. So thanks for coming on. Great, great. Thank you very much. And so you are a rugby player, um, even in your mid-50s. That's amazing. Is that your primary sport? Yeah, it is. You know, it's funny. I what, I, uh, I was always a really small guy in high school. I tried to play football in, uh, in middle school and got killed because I was so small. And so I never really did any kind of sports through um, junior high, high school, or college. But my kids actually in middle school started playing rugby and I had no idea what this sport was all about. It looked terribly uh, dangerous, uh, but the more they played, the more exciting it was. And, you know, it was one of those things where we have uh, we have touch rugby as well as contact rugby. And uh, Memphis is a is a big rugby town. And so I would I would go out there with my kids and watch them play. And then one day it was like, you know, I think I can, I think I can do this. And I was in somewhat decent shape at, at my age, which was about, I think I was about 44, 45 years old at that time. That's amazing. And I was, I was just going to run with them. Now, I, listen, the first day I stepped on the field, you know, it's brutally hot in Memphis anyway. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. It was, <laughs> I was, I was not in shape the way that I thought I was. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And somebody goes, hey, you know, we've got a kind of a master's league. Why don't you why don't you join up with the local team? You can learn how to play and then play masters. And I did that. And I'm playing with guys, you know, they're like half my age. And, uh, <laughs> you know, one day one of the guys on the team said, how come you never play with us when we go to games? I was like, well, because, you know, I'm supposed to be in the old boys league. I'm not supposed to be playing with you guys. And they were like, come on, play with us. And so I did. I started playing with the, the local uh, team here in Memphis and loved it. Absolutely loved it. But, uh, you know, here I am almost 10 years later. And, uh, you know, I've, I've definitely had to learn some things about keeping up with the young guys and what, what, uh, how I have to, to train a little bit different at my age to, to stay competitive. But, you know, I, I still love playing. And my, my goal when I train is that at a drop of a hat, I can step onto a rugby field and, and play no matter where I am. Because it's that kind of sport. You can do that anywhere you go in the world. Uh, you can step onto a field with a bunch of guys and uh, have that camaraderie and, and play that play that sport. Wow. I definitely do notice the camaraderie. It's pretty easy to tell um, how close everybody gets, even on different teams. Like it, the thing where I think it's the All Blacks. Don't they buy the other team beer after the game and they all just like hang out together? It seems like that kind of a physical sport does provide that kind of camaraderie of, of you know, like shared suffering, I guess. It really is. You know, it's it, we have kind of they're kind of unspoken rules. But, you know, if, if I'm on the road and I'm traveling somewhere with a team, when you get to the other the other pitch, you know, the other team's pitch. And you play a match, man, you play hard when you're on the field and, and, you know, it's, it's brutal. However, when, when the, the last whistle is blown, everybody shakes hands, you go to the local pub, you buy each other a beer and, you know, you spend time getting to know your opponent. And uh, it's just a really different atmosphere than, than I would say traditional, traditional sports 
um, it's it's much less segregated and much more of a brotherhood. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's a, mm. it's a real brotherhood of, of guys. Wow. Is it as violent as um, I would imagine? <laughs> Well, you know, it, it can be pretty violent. You know, it's funny. So I've I've got uh, I've got five boys. Uh, you said in your intro, all f- uh, four of those boys played rugby in either high school or middle school. Wow! And um, you know, we've had days where we go to a tournament, and there was one tournament we went to where my youngest son broke his arm in the first match of the day, and the older one broke his arm in the last match of the day. <laughs> so, you know, it's like we spent a lot of time in ERs, and well, actually. We spent less time in ERs once we got used to the game. Uh, somebody's probably going to call protective services on us. But you, <laughs> totally. you get to the point where you go, you know what? I know that's broke, but there's nothing that they're going to do about it on a Saturday afternoon. So we're going to splint you up and take you to the ortho on Monday. And you just wow. kind of, you know, you kind of get used to it after a while. But uh, it it can be pretty brutal. But, you know, what's funny, Casey, is, you know, people look at football with the pads and the helmets and all that stuff, and they – they have this impression about you know rugby that it's just football without pads. But what you learn to do is you learn to be really smart about the way you handle your body. Um, your pads uh, and helmets allow you to get away with a lot of carelessness, and that's where a lot of concussions come in and uh, you know, a lot of injuries that we're we're you know just now learning about today. And sure, that's in rugby as well. But I have learned that. Um, you really learn to be smart with the way you move and handle your body when you're putting itself, you're putting it under stress, uh, the way you do in a match. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's a really good point. I was actually going to ask you about that mental health, um, aspect of the game. Is that something that's being talked about in rugby or is it just, is not as big of an issue because of that, because you're not running, you know, literally head to head as fast as two giant people can fly at each other the way you would in football, since you do have the helmet, is, is, is it as much of an issue there? Yeah, I would say um, without numbers, like I can't tell you one versus the other, which is worse. Um, But I can tell that, whereas I get the impression, you're going to lose the NFL as a sponsor here. Um, Whereas, you know, the NFL, there's kind of a, there was a conspiracy of silence for a while about the head injury problem there. I would say that rugby is more out in front of that. And we, ha- we don't have rules in rugby. We have laws in rugby. Mm. And uh, so, I, you know, wh- whatever. But um, those those laws are changing constantly to try to protect the health, especially the, the mental health, and lower the, the risk of those head injuries that we've seen happen over the years. And even, you know, within rugby, there's been some big high-profile cases within the last year or two where, um, you know, professional players, World Cup players have come out and said, you know, I, I don't even remember playing the game. Wow. Um, and so, you know, we're all having to to look at that and find out what the best way is to handle that. And mm. I can tell you as a high school and middle school coach for years, um, you know, really having to be careful about these young kids and taking care of them so that, you know, rugby is just a game at the end of the day and they've got the rest of their life ahead of them. And you really have to protect them and, you know, their parents, you know, most parents don't really want their kids playing rugby, um, you can imagine. And so you have to you know, put those parents at ease and let them know that you really do have the best interests of their kids at heart. Mm. And you're doing your very best uh, to protect them at the end of the day. Now, what the kids decided to do, I had a kid one time that he was concussed, plain and simple, but it was not obvious to me. He never said a word. Nobody ever said anything. And uh, after the match, his mom called and said, hey, how come my kid got a concussion and you didn't tell me? And, you know, he had covered it up and just had not told me. So, you know, there's that machoism that comes with being a rugby player or a football player, an athlete. And you have to get over that. For, for your own well-being, you have to get over that and uh, take care of yourself. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think with football, we learned that like it's those those kind of like repeated sub-concussion level hits that accumulate over time. And I always wonder about, you know, maybe the kid who is only going to ever play at that high school level, you know, they're not going to be pro. They're not going to do this for the rest of their life. You know, that's one thing. But but to sustain damage that, again, like you said, would you did, you know, notice that damage later in life would be, that would be pretty tough. Um, yeah, really tragic. Yeah, for sure. I have to ask you... Um, 
um, before we move on, move on, what was what was it like to have the game basically taken away from you for a few years and play your first game um, after the pandemic? Uh, yeah, my first official match was actually this past Saturday. Uh, we have a really big tournament in Memphis. It's a it's a an Olympic Seven style rugby tournament in Memphis, and it was heartbreaking having that taken away as a player. But I can also tell you as a coach, um, having that, well, I'll back up even, you know, my kids started playing in middle school, as I said, but I've had three of them and actually have played in college for the University of Memphis Tigers. Mm. And one of them graduated uh, this past spring. And, you know, his last two seasons were in the middle of a pandemic. And here's a kid who started when he was in fifth grade and you know, at this point is at the pinnacle of his uh, playing ability and skill. And uh, he was actually the, the captain of the team this year. And you season and it's heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking for the whole community. And, um, you know, what's been great. I, you know, there is a, a major league rugby um, league now in the United States. It's fairly young. It's about three or four years old. And they just finished their finals last week. And uh, one of the things that that was great for the rugby community is that they were able to finish their entire season. There were no games canceled for COVID or or any kind of uh, uh, violation of restriction. Even uh, there's a Toronto team. They played the entire season living in the United States away from Canada just so they could participate within the guidelines, the COVID guidelines set out by the league. So, you know, that was great to be able to have that um, to, to watch and to look forward to. But as a player and as a coach, I can tell you, it's been really tough. And, and so, you know, we're really looking at this, this next year as being a rebuilding year uh, for a lot of high school and college teams, especially. And, you know, we had some great momentum in the the growth of the sport and it's going to be really hard to pick that momentum back up i can tell you um for me as a player you know i i play whenever i can and uh just being able to step on a field and run with the ball in your hands it's the best feeling in the world and you know you're kind of apprehensive going okay you know what i know i don't know what kind of shape i'm in i haven't hit anybody in two years you know who knows what this is going to feel like but it was it was a great great day for, for Memphis rugby. I can tell you that. And it was a great day for me as well. That's amazing. What a cool sport. It's so cool to learn about from somebody who plays it. I don't know why you didn't get the memo. (laughs) You just don't understand as we age, we decline, we get older and fatter (laughs) and sicker. We add more chronic disease. You don't find new physical sports at age 45. Did you not get that memo? Like everybody knows this. You know, I just must not have been in circulation on that one for some reason. Yeah, I can tell you, you know, my mother, she's one of the biggest rugby fans now that my kids have been playing for so long. But the look in her eyes when I told her, hey, yeah, by the way, I joined a team. You know, she's in her seven. And she was, I come from good stock, say that, at least on her Um, She was running half marathons up until she was almost 70, I guess. And... But she still looked at me like I was crazy, like she could not believe. And, you know, I still get a lot of that when you know, when I went out Saturday. You know, I wasn't on a team. I just brought my my boots with me and my shorts and a mouthpiece. I thought, well, if somebody turns up short, I'm going to the field. And as soon as I walked out there, and everybody, you know, you get used to people making fun of you after a while, but, you know, they, they still ask. <laughs> they still want you out there on the field, you know, even if you're 54. Uh, if you can, if you can run and you can tackle and you can do the job. Um, now, like I said, I, I've had to learn to train def- differently than the young guys. That's for sure. I, I, when I first started, I tried just to, to muscle it out and, and run with guys that were in their twenties. And I learned pretty quick that that my body just couldn't do that. Mm. Um, I, I could still compete and compete well, I think. However, I couldn't beat my body up in the same way they could. I just couldn't recover uh, the same way. And so I had to learn kind of on my own what it took to to be in my peak performance 
to do the job I needed to do. And, and, you know, you, you look at some of the, the older rugby players out there and you, you listen to, you know, and I'm talking about high level competitive rugby players, you know, you're capping out in, in your probably mid thirties, but even then they're realizing that they've got to change the way they do things or else they just won't be able to keep up. Mm. That's so interesting. It's really apparent that you have gone through an evolution of understanding health and fitness from your blog. You are very upfront and open with the methods that you use, and you see how those things change and evolve over time. This is a huge question. We could talk for 18 hours on the answer, but <laughs> what, are, what are some of the most important things that you've you know, implemented along the way that has helped you with your understanding of health and fitness? Well, you know, um, like I said, I, I kind of look at myself from a performance standpoint, you know, performance and you can't, it doesn't have to be performance versus longevity. It can be both of those at the same time. And when it comes to performance, I'm, I'm trying to, to stay explosive. I'm trying to keep my aerobic fitness good for recovery on the field, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm also, uh, I'm strength training quite a bit. And uh, of course, my diet has really changed. But what I've learned is, you know, when I was a kid, now I wasn't a sports, uh, I wasn't an athlete in high school or college, but I was a lifter. I love to be in the gym. I love to lift weights. And when I was in college, I would easily do two a day workouts. Um, I was, I've, again, I've always been a, a little guy, but um, I was big and strong for my size. And, uh, what I learned, you know, when I joined uh, a rugby team and decided I was going to, I, I thought I was supposed to train like that um, as a strength athlete. And you can't be in the gym five days a week. You can't be on the field three days a week. You can't neglect sleep. You can't eat garbage. You know, I'll tell you, Casey, one of the things that this is like simple when it comes to diet, but, you know, when I first really got rolling on, uh, rugby, I, I knew number one, I, I, I needed to put on weight. I went in weighing about 160, 165. And that was a joke as a player. You know, we, we pride ourselves in rugby for recruiting the fat guys because you know <laughs> you can really use the big boys on the field. Um, and I needed to put on some weight. So I was eating pretty much anything in sight. And I was just gulping whatever kind of protein shakes I could get and just trying to get calories in my body. Cause you know, the, the paradigm I come from is the, you kind of the, the old style bodybuilding community of the eighties, you know, and that's what we did then. And, you know, I would have to take, I would have to pop a couple of ibuprofen before I ever stepped on the field uh, because my joints hurt so bad. I was so creaky. I was so, um, you know, just all the time I was, I was fighting injury. And coming to a point where a couple of years later, I think forcing my nutrition to be so, you know, it's funny, you think of it as being healthy for performance, but it's actually terrible for your body. Um, I finally get to a point where my stomach was a disaster, really. It, it was, um, it, I, I guess you would call it IBS for lack of a better term. It was just always a mess. And I finally, I took a couple of days, I, I went on a long fast. And I came back and I, I completely overhauled my diet, dropping um, processed sugar, most pretty much all processed foods. Uh, grain is gone. It's been gone, which is tough. If you're a rugby player, you want to drink a lot of beer. But, you know, I had to put that out of my diet. Um, you know, the pasta is gone, all that kind of stuff. And I went pretty much, uh, I would say, pretty close to a, a keto, ketogenic or, or at least low-carb paleo diet at that point. And it completely changed the way my body uh, felt and performed. Um, I, I think it's on my blog somewhere. I accidentally, I, I say I accidentally lost over 25 pounds in a matter of months. Yeah, that's right. I, I didn't know I had that weight to lose. You know, everybody talked about how small I was. I was down uh, about 148 pounds at that point. Like I didn't know I was carrying that much weight. Wow. Um, and, you know, I have since kind of stabilized at about 155 pounds. And I, I feel like that's probably my, my equilibrium weight at that point. That was my high school weight, um, you know, uh, and um, I feel good at this weight. I feel light. I felt able to perform. So, you know, again, some of the things that I've had to change would be my diet. 
I've had to change how many days I train. I can't recover if I'm in the gym four days a week. I just can't do it. Three days, I'm fine. Um, I can't, um, you know, I sprint one day a week and that's all I need to sprint. If I'm um, you know, practicing, uh, you know, I get my sprint days on practice days. Um, my sleep, I really take care of my sleep. That's something that's very important to me. And that was tough as I'm an IT guy. Um, you mentioned that I've got my my uh, own business and I've been in IT for you know 30 years and I've got my own business. It used to be that I'd stay up at all hours of the night and work uh, because I could. And uh, now I just can't do that. Um, I have a, a pretty rigid sleep schedule that I try to keep to um, so that I can recover and so that I, I'm, I'm doing my best. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's a couple of the big rocks, as I call them, your sleep, diet and uh, recovery. For me, at my age, uh, those are the things that work for me. Mm. Yeah, that's great. That sounds like a very balanced approach between, you know, doing and pushing and striving versus surrendering and allowing yourself to rest and recover. I think that's so important. Um, I, I On that blog post that you made about accidentally losing all that weight, it's pretty amazing. And it's part of the reason why I recommend people do before and after pictures, because those pictures, you can tell a huge, huge difference. And part of that journey was, um, I mean, you tried a, a fairly more strict kind of carnivore diet at pretty much about the same time that I did um, in 2019. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I wanted to try it for like 30 days and liked it so much. I just kind of forgot to go off of it. What was your experience <laughs> with the carnivore diet itself? You know, I, I loved it. And, um, you know, I, my carnivore experience is very much, um, you know, all types of meat. So uh, fish, beef, um, uh, chicken, uh, you, you name it, pork. I, I'm, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. So you got to eat a lot of pork down here. I know you just had... Um, uh, oh, what's the barbecue gal you just had on the podcast? Yeah. It was so good. Susie. You know, she's, she called out Memphis, you yeah. know, and it's like, you know, um, but I still hold to primarily a meat-based diet. Um, you know, when I get up in the morning, it's basically a piece of meat and a couple of eggs. That's what I have in the morning. Uh, my lunch is centered around some kind of piece of meat and I might throw in an avocado, uh, a couple of slices of cheese, you know, something like that. The hard part about that, you know, at my house, if you only knew Casey, what a cook my wife is, (laughs) um, she is amazing. You know, when you've got as many kids as we do, and then you've got all of their friends and girlfriends and now wives and now their children, we feed a lot of people around here. And so trying to learn how to cook in such a way where you can accommodate the most number of people and still make it uh, a somewhat healthy <laughs> meal uh, is pretty tough. She does a great job. You know, my wife, I got to say, has she's come along this journey as well, and she has really transformed her health alongside uh, me, but alongside me, but independently of me. You know, she, her body works a very different way than mine does, and she's done a great job there as well. But um, back to the the carnivore ish. Um, I would say that our dinner times, because they involve so many people, it's much more diverse. So we're having a much uh, broader range of vegetables and starches and things like that. And so, you know, I have to kind of pick through that and eat what what works for me. But she's very uh, sensitive to the way that I, I prefer to eat. And so there's, you know, she'll set aside the meat. She'll set aside the shrimp. She'll set aside the fit, you know, whatever it is, she'll set, set some aside for me uh, and let me do whatever I want to with it. And, um, uh, you know, I still really center my diet around a carnivore-ish diet. Nice. Uh, that's what I call it right now. Yeah. Wow. No, that's great. That's awesome. Um, another thing I've heard you talk about um, on your blog is related to somebody that we've also interviewed on our show, Dr. Phil Maffetone, and using oh, heart yeah. rate training and the Maffetone mm-hmm. method to calculate your heart rate. Can you tell us a little bit about that and some of the benefits you've noticed? You know, um, it's it's funny because I, I uh, you know, I, I unfortunately, I don't have a great heart rate monitor. I just use my, my Fitbit and I use uh, usually Strava along with that. But um, it is so obvious when you really tie yourself to that Maffetone method, which is essentially uh, for people who don't know, um, they just need to go back and listen to the episode. But um, uh, it's you take a, 180 beats per minute, 
which is different than the traditional, what is it, 220 minus whatever. I, yeah. I can't remember, but that's right. For Maftone, it's 180 minus your age. And that's kind of a good target aerobic heart rate. And it's weird because you think, I am not working hard at all. You know, it's, you're almost walking when you get started. And, but you know, you're watching that. For me, I'm watching my, uh, my Fitbit, I'm watching my heart rate, and I'm trying to keep it pegged out at around, for me, it's around 100 and say 25 to 130 beats per minute. And I'll, I've noticed that true to what Phil says, the longer you do that, you become so much more efficient uh, in your, your aerobic health to where you're going farther, faster, with the same target heart rate. So you know you're becoming more efficient. And, you know, for an athlete, that just means that you're going to be that much better at recovering um, in, you know, if in your strength training, in your on-field, uh, in your, uh, your, you know, if you're a marathon runner, I'm definitely not a long-distance runner. Um, but you become so much more efficient, and it's so easy to track when you're doing that Phil Maffetone method. Mm, that is very well explained. Um, and I would definitely second you for the listener. It's such a great way to train and build, like you said, your efficiency, your fat burning capacity. You you just see your performance just slowly increase at the same rate. Like you were saying, I, it's such a great way to train and a great way to avoid burnout. Um, you know, Casey, yeah, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it's funny. So we going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's been almost two years since we were able to play uh, on the field. And it's been kind of, if, if you read my blog, you know, I do a lot of N equal one experiments. I'm, I'm always changing up my routines. I'm changing my diet. I'm changing what supplements I take, uh, if any. Uh, I change uh, my strength training routines. Uh, but I've had, this has been kind of a lab for me, uh, doing Phil's you know, method, doing some high intensity work as well, which I've, I've just uh, uh integrated in uh, the last year, really, uh, since I couldn't get on the field and do anything, my strength training. Uh, and so it's been kind of a lab to see, okay, was I successful with that, stepping back onto the field this summer? And I was so incredibly surprised to see just how well I could perform. Uh, you know, you get tired anytime you're doing something uh, as high octane as playing, you know, sevens or touch rugby or whatever. But, you know, I, I'm not gassed. I feel good. I can run with kids. I, I run with my own kids. Like I play against my own boys when I'm on the field. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's really cool. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be as fast as those guys are, but I can keep up and I can hold my own. And so I know like with the Maffetone training and the hit work that I'm doing, I know that it's worked. I, I know for sure that those experiments have come through for me. Um, so it's it's really been helpful. Mm, that is also very well explained. It's such a cool thing to know about yourself that you were able to maintain your fitness for years of not playing sport. It's so cool. I love that. Mm -hmm. I really want to talk to you about your business. Um, you know, this last year and starting our own business and learning about how to be an entrepreneur and how to, how to do things the right way, I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, why was it important for you to start your own business and what were some of your guiding principles to help you along the way? Well, first of all, Casey, congratulations to you. I've been kind of following this through your, through your podcast, you know, how you've been doing. And, you know, it was such a huge shift for so many people to suddenly have the rug pulled out from under them with the COVID pandemic. And for me, I've been doing this for a long time and I didn't have to alter very many of my processes already, but I'll be honest with you. And it's not a great uh, guiding principle for starting a business. I don't work well under other people's direction. I think <laughs> um, it's funny. You know, I actually, when I started my company, I started with my then boss uh, over 25 years ago. Uh, we were both uh, IT geeks and the internet was really coming in of age and we found that we had kind of an edge over uh, most of the people in the market, at least where we were locally. And so we said, you know what? We can do this and we should do this. And we just loved working together. It was fun for us and we geeked out over it. Um, and uh, so we got started. And now it was pretty tough. I, I'm going to throw this anecdote in there. Um, you know, we made the decision that we were going to quit our job, but I was in the middle of buying a house. 
And you know how it is, you know, with the finance companies, you have to have all your ducks in a row when it comes to to having uh, your finances in order. And so uh, my wife and I, we signed the contract on our house and I was just waiting for that. And the day we signed the contract, I got dressed, I went into work, I turned in my resignation and uh, two weeks later, I was on my own. Um, so it's been a wild ride and an adventure ever since. My wife has been very gracious as, you know, through the growing pains of having our own business. Wow. Um, but, you know, the, the things that I've learned, it, I, some of the customers that I have today are the same customers I had when I started my business. And, um, you know, uh, integrity and customer service and really being attentive to the people that you're serving will go so far in any business. And I'm, I'm surprised sometimes at how people miss that. And uh, even in whatever, you know, in the internet business age that we're in, uh, you can still be a person of really attentive customer service and a person of real integrity. And, um, you know, even when you screw up, I, I've, I've talked about this before on my blog and elsewhere, but, you know, when you screw up, you have to admit that you screwed up. You have to be straightforward with people, your kids, your wife, your uh, the people that you work for. And if you are a person who has really uh, taken the time to uh, serve your customers well, then you know what? You can get past a lot, uh, especially with your growing pains as you start a new business. Um People are really uh, good at heart, I think, and really want to work with you. And you know what? If they aren't, um, I believe in a culture of generosity and of plenty. And if those people are not going to uh, walk alongside you through those times, then it's okay to turn those people loose as well. Mm. And to, to work with people that also have... Uh, integrity and uh, an attitude of of generosity. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you so much. I think that people are drawn to those qualities, and that that pays out much much better over the course of the long term. Versus, you know, maybe being a little bit more cutthroat um, in the short term to get a sale or whatever. Um, it's just so different. When I was with uh, you know the major corporation that we trained with for so long, we always knew like the number that we needed to hit, to sell, to, you know, service, to the number of supplements to, say, to that we had to sell every single month. And then, you know, the answer was always just more, like it's never enough. It's just more, 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 yeah. more, more. And I found it to be a bit of a challenge and something I'm, I'm constantly working on how, and so I'm going to ask you, like, how do you manage time versus money? When do you push, 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 and sacrifice your time so you can make more money. But when do you choose to do the opposite and say, like, look, the money's enough. Now I have time. I'm going to use that resource for something different. Wow, that is a great, great question, Casey. I'm not kidding. And, you know, part of my deal over, first of all, something that is uh, I keep in mind a lot is the concept of seasons in your life, right? You, you harvest in the fall. You rest in the winter, you plant in the spring, you play in the summer. Um, and you know, your your whole life is like that. And when I first got started in my business, um, my when we moved in this house, I talked about a while ago, um, he was two weeks old. That was my number two son. Wow. Like I said, I've got five. And so I'm starting a business, I'm buying a house. My wife is is uh, a stay-at-home mom at that point. She had been a professional and accountant. And she decided she wanted to be home with the kids. And, you know, man, I was working my tail to the bone trying to provide for my family at that point. And that was the season that I was in. And I realized quickly, especially as we had more kids, that I actually couldn't be in that season. Um, I was in a different season than I thought. I thought I was in the, the startup phase where I could, you know, work all night and be gone from the house. What my wife needed was for me to be at the house and to be helping her with a bunch of small kids. And so for a time, I had to back off the money and I had to do what I needed to do to, uh, to cover what needed to be covered. But I also needed to take care of my wife and my kids and, and invest my time there. Um, and as my kids got, got older then, of course, and became more independent, well, now I could turn my, my attention to 
investing my time in my business and structuring things to where, you know, when the kids are awake, I'm with the kids. When the kids are asleep, I've got to, that's, those are the times that I, I work or early in the morning before everybody gets up. That's my time to do the things that I really need to do. And then as I've gotten older, you know, I'll tell you, I've had a, a really major shift in uh, because of the season that I'm in now. My kids are all grown. They're all adults. Now, I still have a couple that live at home with me, but they're getting married. They're having their own kids. I'm in a new season. And so I'm able to, to do even more with my business now and invest even more time and take it in different directions. But I can also invest my personal time in places that I couldn't before as well. So, you know, I, I believe a lot in, in uh, being available uh, for people. And so, you know, I, again, early mornings are great times for me to get up and I meditate and I spend time with my wife and we have coffee together and we prepare our days together. And then I launch out and I do the things that I need to do for business. But, you know, like I've got on my calendar every day is my workout. And, you know, when a customer calls and says, hey, I want to meet it, you know, so-and-so a time, if it, it, if it interferes, sorry about that, with my calendar date for my workout, well, then I've already got an appointment booked then. And I can't meet with the client. I have to say no to that. And I have to take care of myself. Mm. If I have an appointment with my kids at a certain time, because I try to meet with them as often as I can during the week, or if I have a, a uh, a mentoring appointment with uh, somebody, and that's on my calendar, then I have to go, you know what? I have to trust that the business is going to be there and I can make that happen. I've made a commitment and I'm going to carry through with that commitment. But, you know, it, it's, I, I, I'm pretty rigid about my calendar. Um, I do my best and I, I try to keep those things out front of me that are important to me so that I can, I can get all the, the things in that need to be gotten um, but then, you know, when the day's over, the day's over and, uh, I, I can't do any more for the day. Let me say one thing, Casey, uh, the just stream of consciousness came into my head, you know, in the business that a lot of us are finding ourselves in, especially with the internet age, um, the job is actually never done. I don't know if you've noticed that you could check email all night. You could, um, be making appointments all day long. You know, if you're working around schedules the way a lot of us are having to, uh, especially in the pandemic with Zoom meetings and emails and all that kind of stuff, you could never be done with your job. And I see people who they just keep going and keep going and keep going and they're neglecting themselves. They're neglecting their relationships. When you have to say, you know what, today it's time for me to put a pin in this. There's always going to be work tomorrow. Mm. And you have to have the the discipline to step away from that sometimes and uh, not kill yourself. Now, I mean, like um, you and Bethany, you've got a new job, uh, a new business. Um, y'all haven't been married, what, four or five years? Is yeah, that right? right? Yeah, yeah, four yep. years. And y'all don't have any kids yet? Not yet, working on it. <laughs> See, like, you know, y'all can burn the candle at both ends. You got this. <laughs> um, as long as y'all make the agreement between each other. You know, but you have to look at, you know, whenever the seasons change, you have to look at that and you have to, to decide how is my life going to change in this season? And you got to make those adjustments. Mm, that is so well explained. What a fantastic and very thoughtful answer around that. It is, it is a challenge because you're right. You can work as much as you like, but you need to put some type of stopgap in there. One thing that I love about you and your story is you freed up time that you then used in a passion project. And you have your blog, which is fantastic. You're sharing something that's not related to your professional career at all. I can't buy anything on your <laughs> your website. You have nothing to sell. You're just helping other people, which I think is so cool. So I wanted to ask you why it was important for you to create content. And secondly, like we said in the intro, your personal focus is especially on helping men, young and old, to aim towards personal, relational, and spiritual health. And I want to know why that became the most important thing for you. Um, you know, there are a couple of reasons. You know, first of all, yeah, I, I don't have a program. I don't have a course. I don't have anything. What I, I do have is time and I have even bad experience. I have experience, right? You know, people can learn from at least my mistakes, if nothing else. And I don't mind sharing that because, you know, as a, a husband and a father, you know, my wife and I, we dated for four years. We were high school sweethearts. 
And we thought we had everything down and we got married after dating for four years. And oh my gosh, marriage was so hard. Getting used to people, you, you know, a, a person being up in your business all the time, you know, your, your expectations and the differences that you never realized were there it was really hard. And we bumped up against each other for a while. And it's like, you know, if I can help somebody avoid some of that pain, man, I want to do that. When you're, you're a new parent, uh, you know, we have, <laughs> we have this thing, Casey, it's like, because we were kids, we think we can raise them. Like without any, <laughs> without any preparation whatsoever, guys are like this. Women, you know, they they'll read what to expect when you're expecting and what to expect the first year. Like they're much more thoughtful about it than than us guys are. Um, but you know, we just kind of we we until we need to know it, we don't go looking for the answers. Um, and then you know, like um, as uh, a father of five guys, um, you know, I have had the pleasure of meeting so many young men uh, through just their friendships and through coaching opportunities. Um, and, I, you know, a lot of these guys, uh, unfortunately, don't have male role models in their lives. They're coming from, you know, single parent, especially single mother homes, and they don't have good relationships with their dads. And what they desire, they want to have a solid business. They want to have a way to support their families. They want to have families. They want to, to, you know, they don't like the way they grew up with or without their fathers. And so, man, if I can somehow come alongside some of those guys and point them in a direction, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, James Clear, Atomic Habits, you know, a 1% change every day. Like if I can just aim them in a direction that will be a solid, a more solid direction than the way that they're, they're going today and change their trajectory, help them, you know, be their guide there, then, hey, I've done something, you know, I've, I've, um, I've made the world and I've made that guy's life better. And uh, that's kind of where my passion is. Now that I've raised my own kids, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough that they still want to be with me. and, And my wife, they still hang out with us, they still pretend to listen when we try to offer them any kind of advice. But, you know, now that I, I've done my time with my boys, you know what, I, I want to find the next generation and I want to, I want to help those guys come along as well to, so that they can, they can have the most satisfying life that they can have. Mm. Well, I mean, <laughs> if nothing else, you can always just take your kids to the, the rugby field so you can smack them around there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, if you can just land one good hit on them, it, it feels so good. Oh, it <laughs> that's feels great. So good. Oh, that's great. And they feel the same way about me too, I can tell you that. <laughs> that's awesome. I don't think I've ever beat my dad in basketball. I just think there's a, that generational thing. You'll never quite be able to beat your dad at like the primary sport. Um, so on, on that note, that was another just really great, thoughtful answer. What would you want somebody like me to know, a future father. I don't have kiddos yet. You know, I'm, I'm 37 years old. So, you know, need to start working on that. What, tell me, <laughs> tell me, um, tell me what advice you'd have for somebody like me. Yeah. Number one is start because it gets harder the older you get. <laughs> I'm a grandfather now and man, when the grandkids come over, I love them, but woo, nothing will tire you out like a, a, a grandkid will. That's funny. Um, you know, I got to, I have to go back, Casey, I'm sorry, but to to the idea of seasons in your life and really savoring those seasons and enjoying them while you have them and paying attention to the need of that time. Um, You know, uh, make hay while the sun shines. That's a, it's an old agricultural, uh, you know, saying, but it's like, you only have a certain opportunity Um to, to have time and influence with your kids. And, you know, once a kid hits a certain age, this is you know, one of the things you learn, you know, especially with teenagers, you know, we were all teenagers and you know that you get to a certain point where your kids have absolutely no respect for you when you, when they become teenagers, you know, you lose your influence with them. And so, you know, if you think, okay, I've got oh, maybe 12 years where they're really going to think I'm the, the, coolest thing in the world, right? And part of that, you know, they're drooling and in diapers. So they really don't have, I don't have an influence with them then. Um, You have a really small amount of time to build a relationship with your kids so that 
when they finally do come back to the point where they say, okay, you know what, dad, actually, there's a lot more to him than I realized that you guys can have a relationship with each other, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I would say too, with your, you know, you, this was my experience with my wife. So we got married when we were 22, 23 years old, I believe. Actually, our, our anniversary is this week. It's oh, on nice. Thursday. Congratulations. We married 32 years. So cool. Um, we were kids, you know, when we got married and, and we had uh, almost six years together to, to learn how to be a couple together which is so important because guess what, when, you know, ultimately when your kids grow up and move away and leave you, um, you're going to be left with your wife. And do you have a relationship there with her that you guys can pick up where you left off when the, you know, when the kids were started coming along and can you enjoy life for the next 25, 30, 50 years down the line? Right. Mm. Um, You know, you have to build those relationships early. It's all about relationships uh, with your your wife and your kids, and even with your friends, you know I can't tell you, Casey, how blessed that I've been. My wife and I were very intentional about building friendships with men and women that we wanted our fr- our our kids to respect, and that they would listen to. So that when you become uncool at you know when your kids are twelve years old, that there are still adults in your kids' lives that they will listen to and respect when they won't listen and respect you. And that has been so valuable, valuable. So the community you, you surround yourself with the relationship you build with your wife and ultimately the relationship you build with your kids, you know, you want your kids to want to hang around with you when they don't have to anymore. Mm. And uh, aiming, aiming toward that destination. You know, if you, you begin with the end in mind, uh, as Covey would say, as you begin with the end in mind, then that guides the way that you direct your 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 parenting, your marriage, uh, your business, uh, all of, of the big places in your life. Mm. Wow, that's awesome. I especially love how you explain the seasons. It kind of reminds me of a Bible verse. I know, um, you know, spirituality and, and um, you know, the Christian faith is something that's really important to you and your family. Mm-hmm. And I'm, Absolutely. I'm thinking about what you just said and another part of the Bible that says, you know, you need to let your light shine. You need to show mm-hmm. what, you're doing by example so people can follow. And I wonder, is is that in a world where we have this total lack of really great role models, you know, it, 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 the media is catching our attention. We don't see the, the the people that are doing the most good maybe in the background. Is is living your life the, the right way, does that end up being one of the most selfless things that you can do by showing an example to others? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you kind of you you definitely nailed it there. My my Christian faith is is our Christian faith and in, in our family is, you know, it's a real uh it is who we are and you know the way I explain it to to folks is um I actually think I put this on on a post recently, but you know, we look at our lives as being like a pie. And we divide it up into all these different pieces. You know, I've got my work life, I've got my marriage, I've got my family, I've got my training time, I've got my hobbies, and I have spirituality in there along with that. However, you practice that spirituality. And that's just another slice of the pie. You know, in America, a lot of times it's it's what you do on Sunday, right? And uh, it, instead, you know, spirituality, and I would say, I, this is how I describe it, in our house is we try to make it the pie filling, right? You know, the cherry pie filling isn't just in one slice. It's the thing that that, um, is all through all of the different slices of the pie. And so, you know, loving people is ultimately what it's all about. Loving people, serving people um, in the way that that God loves and serves people, um, his creation that's, that's, you know, where we try to be centered. Now, you know, we're screw ups like everybody else is. And, you know, I totally miss out on what to be. Um, but, you know, any way that I can um, use what I've learned from, you know, who God is to, to influence people to live a life of love, then, man, I feel like I've, I've done what I needed to do. Mm. 
Well, yeah, I, that's also very well explained. I think for the sake of naming things and grouping things together, we kind of have like, you know, the physicals over here, the spirituals over here, the, you know, the nutrition is this part, your recovery is this part, mm-hmm. your, 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 you know, your mentality, they're all like different buckets, but I really have noticed the further down this path that you go towards any improvement on any one of those things, I notice improvements with everything. It's almost like it's a synergy that like, since I improved my sleep, now my physical's better. Now I'm mm. waking up earlier. I'm more grateful. So now my spirituality is increasing. Is that something you've noticed too? That yeah, there's there's kind of a difference in some of these things. But once you start improving one, like doesn't the whole thing kind of improve together? Absolutely. You know, when you are peace with your, you know, like if if Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You know, that's kind of <laughs> a rule of marriage, right? You know, it's like when one thing is out of whack, everything's out of whack. If it's your sleep, if it's your personal peace, the amount of stress that you've taken on in your life, um, you know, I can always tell, I could always tell how short my fuse was with my wife, with my kids, when my stress level was through the roof. And I knew it was time I had to dial something back. Something had to go. And, you know, of course, then you have to make some really tough choices in your life. But when you start dialing in your physical health, and then you sleep well at night and you, you know, you make the decisions to cut back on your stress and you take time to connect with the most important people in your life and that peace comes to you. Um, everything works better. I can tell you, you know, at my, my age, 55, um, almost 55, um, I'm, my, I think my wife and I both would say we're at a place in our life where uh, we wish that we had known the things we know now because life is so good for us. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I guess that's part of where, uh, part of why I write my blog. It's like, don't wait until you're in your fifties or your forties before you learn this stuff, man, the sooner you can start putting these things into practice in your life, your, your physical health, your emotional, spiritual health, um, you will be so, uh, so much happier in the way you live your life, you'll be able to enjoy your life in a way that you couldn't otherwise. And uh, that's just really important to to what we do around our house. Mm. Well, you can see it in your blog. And you've mentioned this word already, like intention, intentionality. You will, will take times, you know, maybe it's a midlife crisis. It's not necessarily like January 1st all the time, <laughs> but you take time out of your busy day to sit down and actually think what components do you want in your life? Like, what do you want? What, what's your intention going to be? And I think that's mm-hmm. so important. I look back on my career and it was, it was so much easier for me to push through 60 hour work weeks than it was to sit down and say, wait a second, like, what do I really want? That it's, it's almost like it's so much shorter, but it's almost more difficult to do that. Can you talk about the role of, of being really intentional in your life and sharing that message? Yeah. You know, um, a couple of years ago, I, um, it's been quite a few years ago now, probably five years ago, I stumbled on a book called living forward by, uh, Michael Hyatt. And it's basically the idea of putting together a life plan. And, uh, you know, again, back to, to Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind, the way Michael would uh, put this is when you go through and you build that life plan, one of the first things you do is you, you decide what are the most important buckets, you know, of my life, the most important accounts that I want to, to keep in balance. And where do I need to make deposits? And where do I, you know, can I make withdrawals? But a part of that is you have to write a eulogy for all of those different accounts, those different really important groups in your life. You write, like if you're standing around in the crowd at your funeral, what do you want to hear your wife say about you? What do you want your kids to say about you? What do you want your customers to say about you at your funeral? And you know, you put together for each one of those accounts an envisioned future. Okay, like if I'm seeing myself five years down the line or 10 years down the line, I'm going to write as if that is occurring right now. And I've lived my life in such a way that I, I, this is what my life looks like in that account. And then you work backwards from there. You go, okay, so what are the steps that I have to do to make that happen? 
And so I can tell you that at least once a year I get together, I do, uh, I, I take a week long retreat and my wife joins me for half of that. And the first part of that, I go through and I look at my life plan that I put together years ago. And I go, okay, are these accounts still the ones that I really think are the most important? And what's changed? What does my envisioned future really look like? Has it changed since the last time I visited this? And okay, what are some of the short-term um, goals or tasks that I need to take care of now to make sure that my envisioned future five years, 10 years down the line looks like that? Whether it's your personal health, you know, my buckets are my own personal health, and that's not just physical, that's you know, emotional, spiritual, all of those. Um, my wife, my kids, my finances, my, my business, uh, my church community, uh, those are my, my big buckets. And so, you know, those are the places where I'll get up in the morning and I open my life plan and I go, okay, this is what I got to do today to make this happen. Or I, I also have a, uh, it's a, a part of that retreat is a, a, a spouse survey where I ask my wife once a year, how am I doing? <laughs> wife, um, what, what do I need to change and how do I need to be a better spouse? You know, I get up on Mondays. I did this today. I get up on Mondays and I open up my spouse survey. I go, okay, how am I doing here? And what can I do this week to, to be the husband that I need to be for my wife? And so, you know, I try to be really intentional. I don't always make that. And it sounds pretty nerdy. I get that. But if you don't live on tension, on intention, you know, there's a guy named Andy Stanley and he says, Direction, not intention, determines destination. You can have good intentions all day long, but until you turn the wheels toward the direction you want to go, that car is never going to get there. And so you've got to be intentional about the direction that you're going and all of the, the places that matter to you most. Mm. And then once you have that set up, you know, that initial work of the intentionality sets up this life that you then get to just go and enjoy, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it, I mean, it's a, it, after that, it's a, it's a refinement, you know, unless there's a, you know, a catastrophe or something that happens in your life, but you know, you overall, you know, you've got a direction for the different places in your life that you want to go. And, um, you know, if you are disciplined enough and you got, uh, you know, Atomic Habits is probably one of the most influential books that I've read in the past several years. And setting up the scaffolding, the framework, the habits, you know, where you do get up in the morning and you look at, you know, what what is the direction that I have for the day? You know, at the end of the day and you review and you go, how did I do? And what am I going to do differently tomorrow? Um, you know, when you set up that scaffolding, then the rest of your life is, it's not cruise control, but at least you can focus on not, you know, building the house, it's living in the house and uh, enjoying the, the atmosphere that you've created. Mm, man, that's very well explained. It reminds me of um, uh, Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights, when he says something along the lines of life, like architecture, um, is is something that once you have a good design, you just need to maintain it. So I think that's uh, amazing. And I haven't well read that book yet. I'm really anxious. It's on my list and I haven't gotten to it yet, but have it sounds to. like it is really well done. Have to, have to, have to. We can't promote that book enough. And I will argue that you have to do the audiobook. I wouldn't normally tell somebody not uh. to read the book, but <laughs> to hear it in his own words, it's it's, it's pretty remarkable. He's a he's a really cool dude with his <laughs> southern drawl. Oh man, he's got great stories. It's really informative. Um, it's moving. It's 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 yeah. It's it's an awesome book. One of my all time favorites. Man, I thought this conversation was going to be fantastic, and it it exceeded my expectations. This is so much great information and really practical stuff that can really help people. Wondering if you had one simple tip that you would distill down to the listener if they were to walk away from this conversation with just one thing. Oh, wow, Casey. Um, you know, I think probably if I, if I said anything, it would be to come back to the idea of intentionality, um, beginning with the end in mind and being intentional about where you want to go. Um, that to me makes all the difference in uh, how your life turns out. You don't want to be on accident. You don't want to wake up one day and, and be a place you, you never thought you'd be. And it's not the place you wanted to go. You want to be uh, uh, awake at the wheel, in control as much as you can, and be intentional, uh, intentional about your life. 
That's wonderful, wonderful advice. I wish you could go back 10, 15 years and give it to me back then. Um, <laughs> I know it, myself included. I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, I just, you know, I see, I see people out there, they're maybe, you know, I don't know. They just, you can tell they're not really walking the walk. They're putting out content or something, but you, you can tell they don't live that life. And then, then I see somebody like you, you know, in your own sphere of, of the world and like whatever scale capacity you have, you're walking the walk, you're living the life. You, I, I can tell that you believe in church and in God because it's, it's Christ-like. I can see it. I see it in the pictures. I see it in your content and it's really remarkable and amazing. And I just, I'm so honored that you would come on to our show and share some of your wisdom. Where would you like people to go to find you and your work? Um, you know, the, the two places where I put out content really, um, it would be davidscotts.blog. And uh, also uh, my Twitter handle is David Scott's blog as well. And, you know, I, I try to post as often as I can. I'm, I'm you know, like everybody else, I, I'm better at sometimes than others, but um, I, I try to put positive content there, uh, useful content there. And again, especially for men, either, you know, young or old, um, I, uh, I want to do my very best, like you said, to put that light out there. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't have this big following. I don't have a big platform, but like you said, um, everybody should use the influence that they have uh, to make the world uh, the, a better place and to make it the, the place that they want to be. And so I'm just glad that you've given me uh, an opportunity today uh, to talk about things that I'm passionate about. Thank you so much, Casey. And you were such a wonderful guest. Thank you. It's been an absolute honor and a privilege. And I just, I love the work that you're doing. And yeah, I mean, if it helps anybody, it's it's all worth it, dude. I just, it's, it's such a cool thing to see and, and um, help you promote. It's really awesome. So thank you so much for everything that you do. And thank you for coming on to our show today. We'll make sure we have everything linked in the show notes. Thank you, Casey. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.